Let's take a look at this passage then. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We made our way almost to the end of this book. And this is just such a wonderful passage. I'm very, very grateful that we've made it to this point. And Paul here, as we uh, take a look at this, is going to be encouraging us in the very basics of the gospel, which is so important. But first, let's read this text together. I have it up behind me here, or you can follow along in your Bible. And here's what Paul says. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Then he goes on to say, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you have believed. This is the word of God. I pray he adds his blessing to it as we unpack this together. Well, let's take a look at these first three verses as we are reminded today that the gospel changes everything. If you want to follow along in your own language, uh, you're welcome to use that Microsoft translation code. And you'll hear, you'll see this translated into your, your mother tongue. You just pick which one it is. And if you don't know how to get that done, let's make sure next time you do understand that. So, verses 1 through 3 Paul makes it very clear that the gospel is a central part of his entire life. He says there in verse 1, this is what I actually preached to you. When he came and he gave a message, it was all about what he calls the gospel. You need to remember, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached. See, you received that gospel, and that's where you take in your stand, And this is the gospel, he says, which has actually saved you. It's rescued you. It's put you in a right relationship with God. That is the gospel by which you are saved. And you see, that gospel doesn't just apply one time, but he goes on to say, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. That is, it continues to apply. You continue to discover more and more what this gospel is about and how it affects your life. Otherwise, he says, you've believed in vain. If, if what Paul calls the gospel doesn't affect you on every single level, the way you think about life, the way you process information, the way you conduct yourself, whatever role you have in your family, or the way that you reach into loving your neighbor, or the, how you do your work, if it doesn't affect that, then it's completely vain. Totally And vain meaning worthless, useless, pointless. 
makes no difference. There's no substance to it. There's a whole book about this, you know, Ecclesiastes, and Solomon, who was very wise, recognizes that everything is kind of meaningless, vain. It's like the wind. He can't find real purpose in life. And so he goes on a search. And, you know, he has, he was, pick whatever famous person you want now today, you know, Elon Musk in terms of intelligence and finances. I don't think Elon's known so much as, as, a, as a player in the world of romance. But whoever you think might be, you know, Ronaldo, I don't know who it is. Somebody that people find uh, attractive, apparently. You know, he had that, that at least kind of, too, at least he had access to all those things as well. He went on a search. He had all the resources because he thought life was completely worthless. And he discovered at the end of it that everything is vain. This, this life is just a cruel joke unless God has given purpose to it. it he, at the end, he says... Fearing God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. And that duty, as we discover in the Bible, is a delight as well. And, and that's a, that's, that, we don't want to believe in vain. This is a big part of what Paul's talking about in this chapter. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, because some people in Corinth said, those people are dead, and they're just dead, 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 and they'll never be alive again. Paul says, you've misunderstood. The reason Christ rose from the dead is as a first fruits, proof that you also, if you believe, will be raised from the dead. Otherwise, this is just a useless activity. And it doesn't just affect then, it affects now, because he says, this is the word you hold firmly to. It, it impacts everything. This gospel. Now, let me suggest to you that this gospel that he's talking about, he's been unpacking throughout the entire book of Corinthians and really over the course of his entire ministry. Let's boil it down to what I think are the absolute basics. I would suggest to you that the gospel is this. God saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that changes everything. God saves sinners by grace, through faith in Christ alone. And that changes everything. Paul says it does. He says this gospel changes everything. And he's so convinced of its significance and importance that he wants to unpack it all of his days. In the book of Galatians, he says some people have come to this church in Galatia and they've preached a gospel other than the one that he preached to them. Something's changed. Part of that change, if you read the, the book of Galatians, is it says you need to do more than just believe in Christ. You also need to have works. You also need to do something else. You received this gospel by the Spirit, but now you need to add to it. In that particular instance, it was involving circumcision. And Paul says, no, there's no Jesus plus plan. The gospel is God saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ alone. And he spends a lot of time trying to show in the book of Corinthians how central the cross is to that. I didn't come with all kinds of strength and powerful persuasion. I came in weakness, holding up a symbol of death, the cross, which seems like foolishness to some, but to those who are being saved like you, it's the power of God. There is power in what happened there. And so let's unpack this a little bit more because Paul does it too in the next verses. 
He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, this is what he's saying. This is so important, it takes primary role in everything. So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, and I've tried to struggle through some of the previous texts, like, how do we apply this? What does this mean? It's almost like Paul is saying, you know what? Back burner that kind of stuff for a little while. Here's what's central. If you miss this, you know, I love the book ending of it, love, and these essentials, none of that stuff's going to matter. Those are the two grids. Those are the two anchor points. And so he says, I'm, I'm passing on to you what I just received myself. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, we'll see a little bit more as we unpack this statement how he himself figures into it. And in fact, there at the end of this string of verses, he appears last to Paul. So almost as somebody abnormally born, Christ calls him into being an apostle because he came a little bit later into it. And so no wonder he says and reiterates, God saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ alone. This is the first importance. The first importance is Christ died for our sins. That's what he wants you to know. What matters most? Christ died for our sins. Are we sinners? Who qualifies? Who today is willing to say, that is me, that describes me? Are you the person who is above reproach? Becky Pepper, who wrote a book called Hope Has Its Reasons some, some time ago, uh, writes this, you may have heard this before, G.K. Chesterton, he was uh, an author, was once asked to contribute to a series in the London Times on the question, what is the problem in the universe? He answered, it's only two words, do you know what it is? I am. I am. Actually, he added a little bit more. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> now, I'm going to read a little bit more, and this may be familiar to you, because you, you've possibly, if you've been in church heard something like this, but just to think a little bit more about it. She goes on to say, such realism, right? people who are really honest about, I'm the problem, is often found in those who've experienced tragedy. This came home to me recently in a conversation with a friend who is a recovering alcoholic. He told me the story of the first time he went to a meeting of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. I walked into the room, he said, and the first thing I sensed was there wasn't a single person in the room who had not suffered. They had come face to face with their weakness, their inability to change without outside help. They had failed. And yet there was this sense of tremendous hope. They really believed that God could help me, and they wanted to stand by me as I sought to stop drinking. They embraced me as I was, a drunk. But they were certain that I could be changed. I felt like I was in a fellowship of the wounded, but the wounded and healed. I was so moved by his description that I burst out, but Bob, that's the best description of church that I've ever heard. <laughs> he smiled and continued, let me tell you about the times I went to church during my drinking days. The message was always very polite but firm. Come back when you have your act together. Then why isn't the church like an AA meeting, I asked. 
He answered, because we don't really believe that the problem rests in us. We think the problem's out there. We are good and respectable in here. We do not admit that the rot is in us too. And I think Paul is, just looking ahead a little bit, understood the rot was in him. Yet by the grace of God, there go I. God saves sinners by grace. You don't need saving if you're not a sinner. If you think you're okay this morning, what I say has nothing to do with you. The gospel doesn't start until you recognize you have a need. All, all that I'm saying is useless. And so I would recommend to you, if, if this isn't resonating, if you're not somebody willing to say, I am the problem, that uh, humbly say, have God show you how you are. Let him reveal that to you. And, and if it's an honest prayer, I believe he'll reveal that to you. But I also want to say, say, God, don't crush me. <laughs> because it will drive you to a point where if you don't trust in something outside of yourself, you'll be left in a pile of ashes. If God were to reveal to you the depths of your sin, you would see how deep that hole goes. God saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ alone. And the reason we start with God is because he's the one who does the saving. He's the one who deals with this. And this goes all the way back. You know, when Cynthia was talking about the Jesus Storybook Bible, it has a tagline, every story whispers his name. Way back from the beginning, Genesis 1, God creates everything, and 2, and it's all great. Uh, but then when Genesis 3 happens and man decides to sin, that is to do the one thing God had said not to, because God knew that outside those boundaries, everything would fall apart. And of course, that's what happens. We exert our independence and say we can do this on our own, and everything falls apart. And God promises that something will happen as a result of that. This is what he says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Many of you know this. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan. I'll put enmity that is conflict, hostility, between Satan and Eve, the mother of all living things, and between your offspring and hers, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent plays out all throughout the Bible. He, that is Eve's descendant, will crush your head. This is why it's important if you open up the Gospels and see, well, wow, Jesus came from this line of, of the seed of, of Eve and, and the godly line. And he will crush your head. We believe Jesus did that through his resurrection. You will strike his heel. And Jesus had to die on the cross. See, God knew from beforehand what was gonna, going to unfold in the future and he said, one day, I'm going to send somebody who will solve the problem. That's what's being anticipated all throughout the Old Testament. And there are signs and symbols of this reality. And the people in the Old Testament were waiting for the Messiah to show up. When is he going to come? Who is he going to be? And when Jesus shows up, he says, here I am. And some people say, eh, I was expecting something different. And Jesus gathers disciples around him. He shows that he really is the son of God by signs and wonders and ultimately by dying on the cross. But we can all die on a cross. We don't know what's happening going on in the cosmic realm there. We just know this guy's dead, which is why the resurrection is so important. 
By raising from the dead, he proves he is the Son of God. He is the descendant of David. He is the Messiah. He's the one back in Genesis 3.15 that God says, I will one day send someone who will deal with the problem and crush the head of the serpent. He will raise from the dead and our greatest enemy will be conquered. That's the person of Christ. God saves sinners. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me when, when Adam and, and Eve are involved in that first sin and they try to cover themselves up with, with their nakedness. God, and from the beginning, is providing the things for them to cover their shame, but it can't be done long-term until Christ comes and takes on our shame for us. And now we can know freedom. This is, this is the basics of the gospel. God saved sinners. That was his plan. Come to fruition in the person of Christ. This was all done, did you notice that, according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What scriptures is Paul talking about here? They were, they were looking back to the Old Testament. The scriptures, as we understand it, are still being written. In fact, we're reading one of them. He was writing a letter. He wasn't saying according to my you know, letter. He said the scriptures that have already been written, this is a long story from a long time ago. You remember, no doubt, when Jesus raised from the dead and he's walking alongside some of his disciples. It's such a fantastic scene. You kind of wish you could be there too. And he says, hey, what's going on? Because they're distraught. And they're like, where have you been? Under a rock? Are we you Superman? You went away to your little place and now you're coming back. You don't know what happened to Lois Lane and everybody else. He says, well, no, tell me about it. They say, well, this guy that we were following, he died. And they don't realize that it's Jesus. And, and then he, he, he says to them, this is Luke 24, verses 25 to 27, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, who we believe wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, and it's almost the entire New Te Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus says, the Old Testament, you open it up, it's all anticipating me. This was all written about here. And he starts opening up their minds to what was said there. So you see, again, understanding does come from God. God himself does the saving. He's the one who gives us understanding of this as well. And as we've said before, this gospel, this thing we call the gospel, does have rational reasons to believe in it. When, when we talk about the resurrection, it's not just like a fun story that we can all believe in. Paul says, if you want proof, go ask these hundreds of people who live right now, and they can tell you about it. And we've already described back on Easter Sunday some other reasons to believe that this is actually something that happened, the physical resurrection of Christ. And, and Jesus says, you should have seen it back in the Old Testament. And he opens up their mind. He says, it's all about me. It's driving to you. God saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ alone, even from the beginning. He's been anticipating that reality, and he's proof positive that it's true. And uh, some of you have seen this before in, in Dis Discover Redeemer when we talk about kind of God's big plan. I just love this run, and this is something that Tim Keller uh, unpacks a little bit too, about looking back to the Old Testament and seeing how Jesus is present there. Let's just explore this for a little bit. 
too. He, he goes on to say, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is given to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out not for our condemnation, but for forgiveness. He died for our sins. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the unknown to create a new people of God, a new family of God. You'll be the father of many nations. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mountain but was truly sacrificed for us. Just as God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. I think I used to have the word stupid in there, but foolish seems kinder. <laughs> Jesus is a true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. God saves sinners by grace. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. This is why Christians love Jesus. Yes. He is all those things for us. This is the gospel that you received. And you can see why we need to come to it again and again and again. How will we ever finish unpacking that reality? Because, you know, we have very short memories in many respects. And we need to be reminded. And that's what Paul's saying in verse 1. Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. Because you forget and you're prone to wander. You have got to remember this again and again. Be reminded of the basics of the gospel. And Paul goes on to say, finally, in verses 9 through 11, that he himself understands this reality that God saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ alone because that describes him. This isn't just some essay he's written for a professor to evaluate and give him a grade on. He said, this is me. This is my life. This is, this is my story. And my story is your story because it's the story of humanity and it's the story of God. Let's look all the way back and see how that's the case. Paul knows God saves sinners because he is one of them. 
Why he wrote half the New Testament, people? I mean, if you, if you feel like you can earn status with God, I don't know if you got anything on Paul. He was, by all appearances, a pretty good guy. He, he certainly has a list of reasons why he ought to be high in, in, in God's opinion, as it were. And yet he missed the main point because he was persecuting God. He was religious, but he was also wrong. He was wrong about the person of Christ. And he said that made all the difference in the world. And you know what it took for Paul to figure that out? The risen Christ appeared to him, blinded him, knocked him off his horse, literally. And no wonder he says, as he's describing to some kings what's going on, you know, Christ says, stop kicking against the goads. Stop, stop just fighting against me and realize that I am who I say I am. And when you're going to persecute Christians, you're actually persecuting me. That's how closely Christ identifies with his church. Beautiful, messy bride of Christ. You belong to him. So intimate is that union with Christ that if somebody's coming against you, they're coming against Christ, the one who created everything. That's good to know in some respects, isn't it? He knows he did nothing to deserve it. In fact, he says quite the opposite. I'm the greatest candidate who doesn't deserve this because I was persecuting the people who had it I really understood that Christ is the Messiah. I'm, I'm after them. I'm, I'm putting them in a position to die. I'm, I'm looking for, for reasons to kill the very people who Christ died for. So I don't deserve it. I'm guilty most of all. So you have heard maybe this. I mean, grace, conveniently, in the English language, you take these acronyms and say, hey, how can we explain it? This is a good basic definition. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what Paul says is happening. When he says grace, I get the riches of Christ that he himself paid for. That's not very fair, is it? No, this is the most unjust experience anybody can have in the world. Justice ought to matter to us. The cross says it does matter to God. But it also says the greatest injustice is that the only truly perfect person who didn't deserve it took it on. He died for our sins? Yeah. This is the great exchange. You and I deserve to be there. And he says, no, I love you so much, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to adopt you as sons and daughters. That's grace. And that changed everything for Paul. Literally. He said, I'm going a completely different direction, and I'm going to lay my life down for this gospel, no matter what happens. I believe it so strongly. It is the fuel that energizes him. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not without effect. See, grace doesn't give us an excuse not to work out our salvation. It's the fuel for doing it. I worked harder than all of them. And God's grace is, is giving me the energy and the strength to walk in his ways and to continue preaching and living out what he has given me. And that's what you believed, he says. When I first came to you, he said, this church in Corinth, this is what you said, I'm in. And then two or three years later, you start getting distracted by things. And you've forgotten the basics. If you don't start here, you're going to go off course. 
Come on, people, let's get back to this. Let's do this again and again. Let's enter into the reality by the grace of God. I am what I am. There's no reason why you should feel superior to another human being. By the grace of God, you are what you are. You can't do anything to earn right status with God. By the grace of God, you are what you are. And that's what you believe. That's why I say through faith in Christ. God saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ alone. He says, this is what you believed. And he'll say this again. He'll repeat this to the, to the church in Ephesus. And many of you probably know this verse. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. That's why Paul keeps saying you're going to boast. Boast in Christ. If you feel like you have a sense of pride or superiority, that is not the gospel at work in you. The gospel is completely against that. Because we all realize it's leveling ground. That's how he started with Corinth. So, yeah, we try to work out what this looks like. We may even have differences of opinion, but it's, it's, it's so overcome by the love of God expressed in the person of Christ that all we have left is humility and gratitude. Or we haven't really understood the gospel. We're still young infants. And look, he realized the church was like that. He says, look, you guys are immature. You know, I wonder sometimes, I've said this before, if I were to put a set of spiritual glasses on and see you all sitting before me according to your spiritual maturity, I wonder how many stinky diapers there would be in, in, in the midst here, right? Like, you know, clean up on aisle five. We need some help here too. And, and, and quite, quite interestingly, so, some of you maybe who fly under the radar may, maybe have the most gray hair. You're the wisest of all of us. I don't know. But I do know that all of us, each one of us, starts this journey recognizing nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross-cycling. That's how it starts. And that's how it continues again, over and over. As we grow in maturity, we don't outgrow the grace of God. This is what you need to believe again and again and again. And it does have effect. It does change you. It does change your outlook on things all around you. Uh, let me suggest just, just a couple of ways that this is very helpful for us. I want to tell you, the gospel is a sure foundation. This is a sure foundation. This is what you build your life on, the reality of everything I just said. That's a foundation. It has to be. Because even if you say yes to Christ, it doesn't mean that your life's going to just be fantastic. There will be lots of ups and downs. And if you don't build on a foundation that is sure, that is the rock of Jesus, Jesus himself in Matthew 7 talks about this. If you build your life on anything besides me and my words, something's going to come along, take that away, and you'll find out it was no foundation at all. But me, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look, at the, look what I've done for you. That is a sure foundation. Anything else is just isn't. So this is the foundation. This is where you build your life. Paul is saying. And also, I hope you see that it, it, it assures us no one is beyond saving. You feel like something, there's no way God's grace can reach fill in the blank. You know where Paul starts himself. I know he can, I know he can change somebody because he changed me. And if that's true, he can change. 
And you might be the person there too. You have to remind yourself. But he did work in me. He did something in me. I know he can do it. It seems like that person's impossible. Paul would say, I'm proof positive. I was the worst. It's interesting. He says, I'm the least of the apostles in this passage. And some of you know this as well. That's not a pretty select group of individuals. You're the least of 12 people. It's not bad. What if you were the you know, 12th best in the world at Rubik's Cube or something like that? I'm the least of the, you know, in the whole world. Like, eh. And then later in his ministry, he says, I'm the least of the saints. The saints being defined as anybody who gets this gospel, who a son or a daughter of God, that's a bigger pool of people. And at the very end of his life in 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 17, he says, I am the least or the worst of sinners. He was an older dude then. And it's not that he actually was a worse person. He just knew the depths of his sin more profoundly. Now he wasn't looking himself as one out of 12. He was one out of infinity. Everybody. I'm the worst. And he wasn't saying that in a glib sort of not really deep fashion. He felt the sting of that. And he says, but, but God chose to use me to show his unlimited patience. So if you think God can't save anyone, he can. And you need to remind yourself, I need to remind myself of that again and again and again. And it's rooted and grounded here in this passage, in the basic gospel message. And that gospel message is sealed as real and true by virtue of Jesus raising from the dead. That's what Paul is going to continue to argue. And because that's the case, let's remember there's always hope. I don't care how bleak your life looks, how awful things around you are. If you trust in this gospel, if you trust in Christ, there is always hope. Always. Always. There's no reason to believe that you're hopeless. This is proof positive that there is hope. That God is at work. That he is doing something. That, that Jesus himself is proof positive that there are things to come that may not be resolved in this life, but I can have hope that it will be because Jesus rose from the dead. That's why it matters. That's why we need to be reminded of it. Do you ever feel hopeless? Even if you're somebody who says, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. I think I understand the gospel. Why do I feel hopeless? You know what you do with that? You tell God. And then he says, look back on the foundation. Build on that reality. The cross is proof positive that I care. The resurrection is proof positive I can. That's the basic gospel. There's always hope. I referenced Becky Pipper earlier. She went to Harvard after she'd already gotten a bunch of degrees, went to a counseling class. And one of the people who was leading it was talking about counseling theories. And, and basically, she just said, well, that all explains everything, but how do people actually change? And the professor said, if you're looking for a changed heart, you've come to the wrong place. Because psych psychology can't do that. We can just explain what's going on here, too. And she said, that's where the gospel comes in and says, but God can change. And he does change. And I'll close with this, this quote. Because when we talked on Easter about Jesus appearing to the disciples behind closed doors, I thought this was appropriate given all that we've already covered. She writes, just as Jesus came to the disciples, so he comes to us behind our locked doors of fear and confusion. We too carry scars and have been wounded. 
We too feel trapped by sin and failure. And Jesus comes to us, shows us his wounds, and says, accept my gift of peace. It is real peace he is offering. Because through his wounds, we can be reconciled to God. He gives us hope and peace and joy through the transforming power of the resurrection. He does not eliminate our suffering, but he does transform it and gives us cause to have hope despite our woundedness. That's all grounded in the gospel and in the reality that Christ is who he says he is. And if you today feel like you're hopeless or lack peace, it can be found in the person of Christ, but only found there. He is the true foundation. See, God's been weaving this story forever, and he has your name on his lips. If you just say, yes, Christ, I, need, I don't understand everything, but I understand enough to say, I want that. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I know I need your grace, and he'll meet you. That's the heart that he's looking for. Those are the, the words that reflect a desire to know this gospel and then to begin exploring it. See, I'm still on a journey. I come to this text again. I'm like, I need to believe this more. I need to be reminded this is what I believe because I easily forget. And so he gives us these proofs again and again. He gives us community, a family of God. He gives us a long train of people who've gone before. And he gives us a living Christ who even now is interceding for us. So ask him. Say, God, help me understand Christ. Come to me. Holy Spirit, make this my gospel. Father, I pray that we remember again God saves sinners. Thank you. For those of us who know what that means, we say thank you for reminding us through Paul of that basic truth that it has an impact on everything we do. Nothing we do is vain. In fact, he'll say at the end in verse, verse 58 of this chapter too, do not grow weary. Your work in the labor in the Lord is not in vain. The things that we feel like are useless or meaningless, Christ's resurrection says they are not. I am doing something. May that be strength for us. And show us that we're always with hope. And maybe, maybe we've never really understood this gospel. And perhaps it sounds, sounds awesome. It is awesome. Help us to say yes to this and to take a step of faith and to say, I'm in. I mean, maybe I don't understand everything, but I do know that I am a sinner. And I do know that I cannot save myself. And here, the gospel says God can do it. If we say there's nothing that we bring to the table today, we're in a good place to understand that God saves sinners through faith in Christ alone. And then you will begin to do something in us. And we look forward to what comes next. We look forward as a church family to these baptisms later that are pictures of this reality, this basic gospel saying, I have surrendered to Christ. My life is not my own, it belongs to you. And the joy and the freedom, the possibilities that come along with that, the sure foundation that has been laid in the gospel. Father, whatever you want to do, we pray that you would do that. Give us strength and energy to show and to a watching world that this is really true and give us genuine peace. We thank you that that's been purchased by Christ. And look forward to discovering more through the remainder of this chapter. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.